we read our scripture this morning a little early, I was hoping that maybe some bells would go off in your head as you looked around your church family and realized that the things that Paul was describing are the very things that we are doing and that we are due. We are sharing when somebody is, is honored, the text says. We are rejoicing with them. When someone suffers, we suffer with them. We are one body of Christ, as we have seen this morning through our worship, through our sharing and prayers, through our fellowship together. And we look sometimes, we look at ourselves and we think, well, you know, there's so much more that we could do. And we go to scripture, texts like 1 Corinthians, looking at the early church as an example for us. Maybe they have something to teach us. Well, I have some bad news this morning. If you're looking for the first Christian church in Corinth to be an example for our church, well, you probably should keep looking. This, there's some good churches in the New Testament, I'll give you that, but this church has a lot going on. It's not your model church. In fact, they probably make a better reality TV show than a church, call it Keeping Up with the Corinthians or the Real Housewives of Corinth, I don't know, but this church is a mess, and Paul writes this letter to help clean up some of the mess, some of the things going on. There's a church member who's sleeping around with his stepmother. Bad enough. But he's got a group of other church members who are saying, yeah, way to go, and congratulating him. Another church member's taken a brother or sister in Christ to court over some menial matter. Maybe they're upset over who gets to be a deacon that Sunday. I don't know. But they're suing each other, going to court with their brothers and sisters. You've got Christians who are sleeping with prostitutes and saying, well, hey, I'm a Christian, right? I'm free from the law. I can do whatever I want to do. It's okay. Jesus got this. There are other Christians who are going on the weekends to parties at the city idols, eating from the all-you-can-eat buffets that are served quite literally from the very pagan altars from which they sacrifice the meat to foreign gods. And that's just what is happening during the week. When they get together on Sunday, things continue to be a mess. They're dividing up in different factions in the church, uniting under the banner of their favorite preachers. There's Travis Christians and Marty Christians, I don't know, but, but they're picking sides. They're divided by their economic status. And, di- and these divisions are made most apparent of all places when they gather around the communion table. Now, in those days, you've got to understand communion was more than just a pinch of bread or a sip of wine. It was a meal, a real, not symbolic feast. And when the Christians, when the Corinthians had communion, sort of like a potluck meal, the rich Christians had the luxury of showing up early. And they would come and they would start the meal and eat all the food. And then the poor Christians would show up late, maybe getting off of work late or just having to travel farther, walk and not ride on a horse or cart. And when they showed up, the food was gone. They passed the rich Christians leaving, bloated and popping Maalox tablets as they stumbled back to their vehicles. And the poor showed up hungry and thirsty and nothing to eat. When Paul writes to them, you understand why he has some harsh words for these Christians in Corinth. Everything they're doing, it seems, is out of their own self-interest. In their mind, church exists to meet their own needs, to validate what they already believe to be true. 
And Paul reminds them that this, well, this is not how the body of Christ should be. Church is about being united, he said, crossing lines of division, looking out for the interest of others, the weak and the least among you. Now, reading about this first Christian church in Corinth kind of makes us feel good about ourselves, doesn't it? I mean, we're not anything like them. We've got some messed up churches around, I'll give you that, but nothing as bad as what's going on in Corinth. And yet still sometimes church, well, church can get a little messy. We're a pretty sordid bunch at times. We've got good moments and we've got bad moments too. If you're like me and grew up in the church, you've seen your fair share of church conflict, of less than stellar moments in the life of the church. I'll never forget that Sunday evening congregational meeting in my home church where I witnessed two old men that I had known my whole life, saints in our church, stand up and argue loudly over who had the most integrity. All right? I was like 11, but something didn't seem right. I've I've witnessed longtime worshipers ask visitors if they could move to another seat because they were sitting in their pew. I've heard someone burp in the middle of communion. I've seen Christians butt in line at the potluck meal. We Christians, well, we can be a messed up bunch. We're people, after all. We're far from perfect. And it makes sense when you think about some of those moments why some people would ask the question, well, wouldn't Christianity just be a whole lot easier without all the Christians? I mean, we can worship God by ourselves. Do we really need to bother with all these people? In other words, we're okay with Christ, with giving our life to Christ. We've even been baptized into Christ, giving that public statement that we've dedicated our life to Jesus. But giving our life to the church, well, that might be more than we can handle. Now, in reading Paul's letter this morning, the surprising thing for me, at least, is not all the things that the Corinthians are doing, but that in spite of all that they are doing, Paul still writes to them and calls them the church in the midst of all of it. And his letter says, you are the body of Christ. Now live like it. And when he does this, when he makes his argument for how they should live, he does it from the church baptistry. Now, we heard a moment ago from the reading Paul wrote, for we are all baptized. That's how he begins this section. We are all baptized by one spirit, not into different bodies, but into one body. Whether you're a Jew or a Greek, a slave or a free, we have the same baptism. And we were all given one spirit to drink. For Paul, baptism is not just simply baptism into Christ. It's not your personal statement of your faith in Christ, but when you're baptized, you're baptized into the body of Christ. That may seem like the same thing, but, but for Paul, the body of Christ is us, the church. That's his favorite word for the church. If you are baptized into Christ, you're baptized into the church. Christ is alive in his church, even a church like the church in Corinth. As much as we'd like to have the joy of church without the pain of church, Paul says it's impossible. That's how it is when you live together in community. And I must admit to you, it's a bit puzzling to me. I mean, why would God, the creator of the world in all God's wisdom, come up with us as his plan 
for sharing God's message of love with the world. Surely there was a better plan than the church. Yet here we are, imperfect as we may be. When God decided to give the gospel to the world, God chose to do it through the church. And really, this shouldn't be that surprising. This is how God always acts, isn't it? When God chose to make a nation, God chose a barren couple who were over 100 years old, Abraham and Sarah. When God called someone to bring that nation out of captivity, God chose Moses, a stuttering murderer, a refugee who had fled God and given up on his own people. When God needed a faithful prophet, God chose a little boy named Samuel. When God chose a king for Israel, God chose the nobody shepherd boy, the last in line, the one you never would have picked, David, who knew more about playing the harp and writing songs than he did about ruling a country. When God needed a woman to give birth to God in the flesh, God chose a young, unwed girl named Mary. And when Jesus began his ministry, who did he choose? But not the finest scholars, the richest lawyers, the best teachers, but he chose stinky fishermen who probably cursed a little bit and burped during communion. He chose a dishonest tax collector who the whole community reviled. A religious revolutionary who was ready at any moment to go to charge and fight the Romans. And he even chose one who scripture tells us he knew would betray him. In a culture of, like ours that prizes winners and political and financial success, we would do well to remind ourselves of this salvation history. That when Paul tells the Corinthians who God chose, this is what he said. God chose the foolish things of this world. To shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. And I really can't really explain it satisfactory this morning why God chose people like us. That we were chosen to be God's body, Christ's body in this world. But this is what God did. And even when the church messes up, when she doesn't quite look like the church anymore, she's still the body of Christ. And if you've been baptized, Paul said, you're a part of that body. Despite disagreements and divisions, despite different preferences and opinions, likes and dislikes, all of us, we are all part of the one body of Christ. And since we are part of that one body, that means every person, every one of us has a part to play in that body. That's why Paul goes through and talks about the different Parts of the body, they each have their roles. Some are hands, some are feet, some are eyes, some are ears. There might even be a spleen or a pancreas out there somewhere. I don't know, but each and every one of us, Paul says, every one of us has a unique role that only we could fill. We are indispensable. Everyone has a place. And whatever your part, whatever your role, it is uniquely yours to fill. That means if you're not filling your role, it's not just picked up by someone else. It goes undone. Our life together is no accident. This is how God designed it to be, the church. With all our imperfections, as Paul said, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as God wanted them to be. So the good news, the bad, I don't know, like it or not, we are stuck together. 
bound together by our common baptism. So when one part suffers, that's why we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice with it. Together, we are the body of Christ at Norwalk Christian Church. And we, together, have a mission in this place. And every one of us has a part to play in that mission. As we approach, as we do every Sunday, the communion table, we are reminded once again, not of our divisions, but of our unity. And I invite you, as you share in communion today, to ask yourself again, maybe for the first time, what part am I playing? What part has God called me to play in this community? And ask, is there someone here, someone who plays a role that has blessed me that I need to appreciate and say thank you? And is there something maybe that I need to lay down? Something that's getting in the way of my ability to be a part of the body of Christ. And what do I need to pick up? What talents, what gift do I need to share so that I can live into God's calling for my life? As you share in communion, think on those things. Ask yourself the questions on your heart and listen for God to speak, to call you. To, step, to call you to step up and be the role, be the part, be the person God has called you to be. Indeed, we are the body of Christ. And individually, every one of us are a member of Christ's body. Amen? Amen. Amen. And let us sing as we approach the communion table. Number 422, let us talents and tongues employ. We'll sing all verses. Thank you. 